Welcome to Spend, Donate, Invest, a podcast at the intersection of social justice and personal finance. Let's talk about how we can spend, donate, and invest more in line with our values. Today's letter is about domestic staff. So here's the letter. One thing I realized pretty quickly during the pandemic is how much I was relying on my housekeeper and my kid's nanny. It has left me feeling a little uneasy about that, especially as I'm learning more about inequality in our country. So according to the Economic Policy Institute, there are probably many more than the 2 million recorded domestic workers in our country. Um, 90% of them are women. More than half of them are Black, Hispanic, or Asian American Pacific Islanders, and they're three times more likely to live in poverty compared to other workers. Also, and I was not aware of this before I started researching this episode, domestic workers, and I'm talking about like housekeepers, nannies, they are explicitly excluded from labor protection laws. This was a concession to the Southern lawmakers in the 1930s. It's it's really gross, and I'd encourage you to read about the history of that. So you've got a number of factors going on here. You have the fact that many of these domestic workers are women. Uh, many of them are immigrants, immigrants. Uh, They are much more likely to be living in poverty, and they're not as protected by the law. So it's a a recipe for disaster. And so that may be some of the inequality that you you were mentioning learning about recently. Another thing you mentioned in your letter is that you're feeling a little bit uneasy about this realization of how much you're relying on your housekeeper and your kid's nanny given the the inequality. And I have read that, so this letter writer is a uh, woman, uh, name withheld, other personal information withheld. But I have read that women are more likely to report feeling somewhat uncomfortable with the dynamics of paying someone to help manage the household. Not that they don't need the help, but they report feeling some uneasiness about the power imbalances and the dynamics in many of those situations. And if you've ever taken a walk in certain neighborhoods in D.C. or New York City, and I'm sure other cities, you'll frequently see that in a lot of the wealthy neighborhoods, it's like the racial diversity in the daytime is way, way up. And then in the evening, there's almost no racial diversity. And what you'll notice is that in the daytime, That's when you get the maintenance, the facility workers, the trash collectors, the street cleaners, the lawn service teams, the housekeepers, the painters, the construction workers. Basically, all of the people that it takes to create a functioning neighborhood are around, and they tend to be immigrants. They tend to be black and brown. They tend to be not white. And you'll often see in these neighborhoods, you'll often see black women, you know, in parts of New York, it seems like most of the nannies are Caribbean women pushing white babies and strollers. 
I used to hear this saying uh, back in the day, I don't know if people still say this, that behind every great man, there's a strong woman or something to that effect. The idea was that these men who have invented things and built companies or led movements, they were able to do so because of the women who often provided wise counsel, a thought partner, and often, and this is what we're talking about today, they managed the household and raised the children so that the man was free to go out into society without the distraction of knowing about how he is clothed or how he's fed or his suitcases are packed or the logistics of how his life are arranged and how his kids are being raised. And so as women entered the workforce, and, and I'm talking about the American context here, at some point among the wealthy, it became common to hire people domestic staff, often women, to take over the housekeeping and the child raising. Of course, this isn't the first time this was done in the U.S. There are literal hundreds of years in which African women were kidnapped and then enslaved and forced to take care of the children of white families. And those women did everything from breastfeeding the white children to feeding, bathing, clothing, comforting them. So you mentioned feeling uneasy about the inequality in our country. And I want to encourage you to think about reducing the inequality in your home. And let's start with some of the mindsets involved here. So how you feel about someone, whether you respect them or not, is going to show up in every interaction you have with them. So I want to encourage you to start with that mindset. Do you respect the person you've hired? Do you respect the job that you've given them? Do you think that anyone could do it and that you just need another pair of hands? Or do you respect it as an actual skill, expertise, a profession? Do you recognize in the deepest part of your mind that this professional allows your family to function better than it would without that professional's contributions. Let's start there. So if you see housekeeping as being a task that's beneath you, that is absolutely going to show up in how you interact with the housekeeper that you've hired to work in your home. She's not an extra pair of hands. She's a skilled worker. And while we're on the topic, your mindset is also going to affect how you speak to your children about the professionals you've hired to work in your home. So We talked a little bit about some of the uh, statistics around race and ethnicity, and, and even we talked about immigration status earlier. So take a minute and think about whether the only people of color your child interacts with are service providers, or the only immigrants, or the only, let's say, women who are not family members, or the only Black women, or the only Latina women. All of this is going to contribute to a more equitable working environment for your providers. So these are some of the intangibles to consider, but let's also talk about the tangibles. When you're initially negotiating terms with a housekeeper or a nanny or someone else that will primarily work in your home, try to have the initial interview and even negotiation about their contract at a neutral location that is not your home. Meet them halfway between your neighborhood and theirs, especially if this person's going to be a live-in domestic employee. What I'm trying to chip away at is the power imbalance in this negotiation. When you're thinking about this person's compensation, do include paid time off for holidays, vacations, and sick leave. Pay well. Don't nickel and dime a vulnerable person. 
Ask what her goals are. Ask if she wants a growing scope of duties in the future. So these are some considerations of being a better employer to your household staff and maybe reckoning with some of that inequality that you're feeling uncomfortable with. And this is a far from complete list of things to think about. These are just some starting ideas to consider. So when you hire the person, also think about in addition to concrete pay, and again, pay well, don't nickel and dime a vulnerable person. There's also something to be said for how you communicate your appreciation for the work that they do. And once you have established a rapport with your housekeeper, let's say, or your nanny, um, try to inquire about their love languages for work. And okay, maybe the term love languages is too corny or uncomfortable or esoteric. (laughs) But you want to ask, you know, because for some employees, what's really going to communicate how much their work is valued and appreciated will be receiving gifts, or it could be words of affirmation. So it's really important to understand how they like to be recognized for doing good work. Show that appreciation genuinely and frequently. I want to encourage you to verbally recognize her contribution to the family's well-being in her presence. If you have children, make sure your children are expressing their gratitude genuinely and frequently. She is a skilled worker. Talk about her work in that way. She's a professional. Remember her birthday, religious or cultural holidays. She may celebrate family milestones. Set aside money for emergencies that she may have. Even before the pandemic, it was true that for the vast majority of Americans, they would not have enough money to meet a $1,000 crisis. So this could be an unexpected medical expense or a car repair. And a lot of times these emergencies can snowball. A car accident can lead to medical expenses, car repairs, lost wages. And so you might consider setting aside some amount of money every year so that if your employee has a personal emergency, you can help, whether with a gift or a loan. Setting aside that money will also give you the mental peace of mind of having already decided on a cap for the amount of money that you're willing to contribute towards emergencies that may pop up. Give raises. Give bonuses. Give tips. Give well-chosen gifts that suit your employee. If it makes sense in your situation, give her a generous allowance to buy something to wear while she works in your home. And if you have experience as an employee or an employer in this situation, please send in your tips as well. This is just a way to start your own brainstorming. As always, links in the show notes. So what do you think? Have you found other ways to tackle this quandary? Or do you have a different question? If you ever have a question about how you spend, donate, or invest, or anything else related to doing good with your money, send it in and I'll do the research, ask experts, and share what I find out. Check out the show notes for the email address to send in your questions. If you think there should be more conversations like this, please write a review for this podcast on iTunes. This is the biggest support you can provide this podcast. If you're too busy, please just leave a rating. And of course, please share this episode with anyone who you think might find it interesting.